Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to the Sunrise Project allows Black families, like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Good morning and welcome to this morning's Sunrise Project call. I am glad you're all here this morning. And as always, I hope that we all find a moment of solace and peace as we share this morning in a space that's filled with love, compassion, and a mutual desire to heal our children, our families, and ourselves. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This morning, we have a very special guest with us, my good, good friend and coach, Daryl Mobley. I met Daryl in 1989 when I started working at Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati. I was fresh out of Howard University and I got to Cincinnati and one of the very first things that someone said to me was, you must, you must, you must meet Daryl. He is running a bunch of brands in the paper division, I think it was, or the hair care division. And yes, I think it was hair care. And he was and is a force to be reckoned with. He was uh, shaking trees and making tremendous, tremendous results at P&G and leading the way for most of the African-American employees that were there at that time. Daryl and I became fast friends and have been friends for now over 30 years. He also met his beautiful and brilliant wife, Susan, at P&G, and they have three grown children. Daryl is one of the world's leading life and executive coaches. He helps people all over the world live their best lives. He was an Army military intelligence officer, and he is founder of Catapult Leaders, a talent search and placement firm focusing on matching college students to top companies all over the country. He's also the founder of Family Digest magazine, and he hosts the popular podcast, The Daryl Mobley Show, your life coach on the radio. This morning... Daryl will work with us and share 10 things parents can do to create a child who always rises, whether it's a boy or a girl. And in this conversation, the intention is that we will walk away with some wonderful lessons on how we can find more peace, more joy, and more progress. Daryl's philosophy is enjoy life, 
and his goal always is to be happy. With that, I'm going to turn it over to my wonderful friend, Coach Daryl Mobley. Okay, well, thank you, Kelly. That was very a very generous uh, introduction you gave me, and I want to thank everyone out there for being a part of this journey that, uh, that we find ourselves on. And I want to start off by saying that uh, I love you all. And I think that that approach to our conversation works best for me, certainly, I would tell you, you know, going forward into life with uh, an I love you all mindset helps me get where I need to be. But I also, I think it leads to reciprocity and, you know, we, we back and forth. And so thank you all for being here. You clearly love your children. And of course, that is an amazing, amazing thing. So, you know, um, I am by nature and by, de by, 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 by design, a positive person. I believe the best is yet to come. And that also gives us another great reason to get up. Now, I was mentioning to Kelly earlier, we were chatting and I said, you know, in the book of parenting, if such a book existed, there is no chapter titled easy. There's no chapter that says it's easy and just do this and it all works, you know, shake and bake and it makes it happen. And that mindset is also a helpful thing for us to be. You all, as a parent, and I have uh, uh, children, three children, and uh, I have not, my wife and I have not uh, had to experience the, the challenges that come from the mental illness or, or addiction problems that are there. So what you hear me talking to you about today comes not from personal experience, and I want to be genuine about that, but it comes from, you know, I've been a life and executive coach for a couple of decades now, uh, maybe a little more. And, and I've coached lots of people, lots of parents, and lots of people over time. And so these issues have come up with, you know, a certain number of those I've coached. And so I'm going to try to bring you things that um, have worked for, for others, which I think is, is important. You know, if your child is beset by mental illness and some sort of addiction, you know, you as parents, and I'm on your side in this call, we got to, I just want you to know, I'm on your side. You as parents, in all likelihood, suffer from, or have suffered from, or probably will suffer from a sense of fear or guilt or stress, a lot of stress, uh, anger, just fatigue, just absolute fatigue. I mean, you know, mental and physical, which is amazing. Um, sometimes and quite often for many, an inability to focus on, on certain on good things. And even for many of us, resignation, you know, just that this, this, is, this is what it is. You know, codependency in this way is it, treacherous. It, it always has been, it, it always will be. And it will leave those of us going through it uh, emotionally scarred. And, and maybe this is something that you have a sense of as I, as I shared that. You know, one of the things about doing this, and there was also resentment. I mean, there's a lot of resentment too. You may be feeling that about, but that, you know, but one of the things about this that's so interesting for me is that uh, I always think of the total team. You know, uh, as Kelly mentioned, I was in the army. And, you know, you have army units of various sizes from you know, squads, you know, maybe 10 or so people to, to companies, 
a few hundred people and then thousands, of course. It doesn't matter the size of the team. You know, the team exists for the team's benefit. That, that's, it, there's always a greater good, right, in, in the military. That's what keeps the military, the U.S. military, the U.S. military, is that there is a greater good. There's something beyond yourself. There's something beyond your bunk mate, you know, or, your, or the person, your squad mate. There's something beyond the immediacy of the now and beyond. And that, I think, is where I'm going to try to take us today. There's a place beyond that. And that allows me to say to you that probably too many of you are neglecting because of what you're going through with, uh, you say, you know, you have a child who's, who's, who's you know, with a mental illness and addiction. Because of how you're dealing with that, you're probably also neglecting in whole or in part your other kids, your significant other, your job, your dreams, and your own well-being. And when you do that, you're not feeding the team. You know, the team is not being nurtured, right? The totality of, of what, you all, what you're creating is not being nurtured. You know, uh, if you're not, if you're neglecting and you're not putting time into, again, your other kids, your significant other, other family members, job, your, your dreams, and your own well-being, then, you know, this is not a good place to be and not a place you want to be. So what that means to me is this, that I take a very future-focused approach. You know, I am, as I said, a life and executive coach. And what that means for those of you who, who've never dealt with one of the people who do what I do is that I work with folks to help them reach their goals, right? And so by nature and by, the nature, by my, own, my own nature and by nature of what I do, I am very future-focused. I, I can't, the past is something to be wallowed in and I, I, so I can't go there. <laughs> I can't go. It is what it is, but we got to move forward. The team must always move forward. The organization must move forward. The family must move forward. And that dedication to that puts everyone in the family on notice that here's the purpose. Here's why we're here. And it's not about you. And it's not about me. And it's not about him or her. It's about us. And so we're going to make sure that we're, we're doing the things to move the family forward. And, and that's, that's really important, I think. And as the leader of the family unit, which, which you are, I think it's, it's important. Now, one of the best things about what we're chatting about this morning is that I want you to walk away with one clear thought, if nothing else. And that is that it's, I put that in quote, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And that's important because we can't, address the things we have to address if you're walking around and you've been convinced. And by the way, some of these children who are challenged with these issues uh, that we're touching on today are very, very good at getting you to feel that somehow it's your fault. It's not your fault. It never has been your fault. And uh, you, have to, you have to believe that or you'll never move forward, right? So, so now let me share with you as Kelly indicated, there are 10 things that over the course of my couple of decades plus of being a life and executive coach, there are 10 things that parents can do, uh, given the challenges that we're talking about today, can do to create a child who always rises. And by the, before I get going, shout out to anyone out there who's in the military, a military family, thank you for serving. And uh, 
that makes everything possible. Again, it's, it's about more than us. All right, so here are the 10 things. I'm gonna list them and then uh, I'll chat a bit about them and then I'll shut my mouth and you can ask me questions and that sort of thing. And they're, they're not in any particular order. Number one, number one, one of the best ways to create an environment, a process, which is what you have to do, a, a, a program to which you create a child who always rises is you must have, there must be consequences for breaking rules. In virtually every situation that I've been a part of where uh, folks have come to me to chat about these things, consequences have not been adhered to. They've not been set and or have not been adhered to when, when the child does what he or she should not be doing. That without consequences, change cannot happen. And by definition, change is a future-focused thing. So without changing to go forward, unless we establish consequences, it, it, that it, it, we won't get the change that we say we want. Number two, it's really important that you, as the lead of the family, not adjust the rest of the family's needs to fit the one who's the challenge. You know, because if you do that, you're just enabling the addiction so, or, or the issue. So, you know, what a lot of times what happens in families, and again, some of you may identify with this, when one, uh, one person has left the reservation, they're doing things that are harmful to self, to, to the family, to reputation, to future, to all the stuff that you know about, then what ends up happening is the family starts altering and changing, becoming something other, becomes this it, it rolls into a ball and everything is predicated on whether the troubled child, whether they are or are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And when you do that, then you're held captive by the child who's has the challenges. And, you know, I must tell you, few things are more sure than that a person who is holding you captive does not want you to be free. Okay, so they're not, they, will, they will not willingly give you the keys and say, okay, you're free. So if you make yourself captive of the child who's going through these challenges, it's unlikely that he or she will ever give you the key to be free. Uh, number three, it's related to, to the first one I said, you have to set really firm boundaries regarding what is or what will and what will not be tolerated. You have to have boundaries. It's, boundaries are a stable, stabilizing factor. Boundaries are what lead to happiness. At the end of the day, children, people as well, but children who, who have boundaries tend to perform better, be happier, and move forward in, in a more uh, pleasing manner for everyone involved. Boundaries are super important. If you don't have boundaries, it's like a lawless society. Right. If you if you remove if you remove all of the signs in society on the roads, and there are no 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 road barriers, there are no road lines, there are no speed limits. It's just people do whatever they want. You have chaos, and this is what happens often in families without boundaries. And I'm not saying any of this is easy to do. Remember, I said there is no easy chapter in the book of parenting, but it must be done if you want success going forward. If you don't set boundaries, then you're being an enabler to your child's bad behavior. And that's just, that's real. Part of your deal is setting boundaries. And you, and you should never, 
ever, of course, enable, do anything that enables substance abuse, right? So, you know, uh, if, if smoking in your house is not to be done, that period, case goes over, or drugs in your house, or any of those things, you have to set those boundaries and then have, of course, consequences for that. Number four, don't, and this is really important, because you were born, you're living, and it's important that you live out your highest possibilities. And here's how you do that. One of the ways, don't let your child's misbehavior trigger you to behave in ways that are not your best you, right? So don't let their misbehavior trigger you. Because again, remember, if they trigger you, they're the gatekeeper. They're the, the warden. They have the keys to your freedom because they just trigger you. You just dance at the end of their string. Don't do that. Don't let their misbehavior cause you to misbehave. And that's really important. That's if you, for many of us, if we look back at our experiences in this place, this space that we're in, we'll see that we get triggered and then we start acting in odd ways, uh, ways that aren't so pop, ways we wouldn't want on film, right? right? And ways we wouldn't want put out to the world. And so if, you, if that happens to you, you're being triggered. Well, the only way to stop being triggered is for you to stop being triggered. So you just say, I'm not gonna be triggered. You stick to your plan. When you're in a military unit, you have a mission. And contrary to what you see on TV with TV shows and movies and that sort of thing, you know, uh, during the mission, nobody gets involved in romantic relationships, unlike TV. <laughs> nobody gets involved in talking about things that don't matter. None of that is on, the, is on the table. What's on the table is the mission. The mission is most important. The mission is what we dwell on. And so it's important that you stay on your mission. Number five, make every attempt do everything you can to stabilize and, and uptrend your family's dynamics. You know what happens often uh, in these situations, the family's dynamics get just, as I was just saying, get just crushed. And so you stop going out to movies, maybe that, if that's something you know in your family, or you don't go out to dinner or ball games or whatever your thing is that you do as a family, whatever those, those grand plans are, whatever those things are, you stop doing them or you, you just never begin doing them. And by doing that, you're not furthering the needs of the team, the organization. So you may have other children who don't get the best of you. They're not, they're not benefiting from all these wondrous things that occur when families engage with each other and do things. You don't wanna destroy everyone because one person is simply trying to destroy themselves. You don't wanna do that. And that's real important. And real important. Remember, the mission comes first, and the mission of your family and your well-being. That, that to me, that comes first. A sixth thing uh, uh, we will move forward is you need to make your child 100% responsible for their behavior. One, not 99%, not 80%, 100%. Now, it may not be his or her fault, especially in the case of mental illness. It may not be his or her fault. But it is his or her responsibility. And that's important because responsibility is the first crucial step to creating positive change. If, if you blame something or someone else for your child's poor behavior, all you're guaranteeing is that that behavior, that poor behavior will remain. Think about it. If your child 
if you have this child who has these, these challenges, why would that child change their behavior, change their behavior if you have bought into the fact that it's someone or something else's fault? You wouldn't, you never would. You never fix, like I never mow my neighbor's lawn, right? Because it's not my lawn. I'm not gonna mow my neighbor's, neighbor's lawn. I'll mow my lawn or I'll have somebody mow it. But I, in other words, I'll take responsibility for mine, but I'm not gonna mow my neighbor's lawn. This is not gonna do it. I, I, I don't know what's, I'm not gonna feed my neighbor's family. In other words, it's really important that ownership responsibility be placed where it should be placed without proper placement of responsibility that people own their behavior, then you will never get the change that you want. It's just not going to happen. That's, that's human nature would be to never change. And that's what happens. You know, for me, this is an important one. And it's part, part of the deal. I think you need to make sure that you as a parent, and I'm going to say this uh, as a father, as a father, so you fathers out there prepared to have the finger pointed at you. It is especially important for parents and, and, and super important for fathers to model the behavior you expect from your child 100% of the time. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, uh, that's a very, that sounds, as my, my kids will say, dad, that sounds hot. <laughs> it sounds hot, right? Until you get down to what does that mean? If addiction to drugs and alcohol and stuff like that and other things, nicotine and whatever else out there, is an issue. It's awfully hard for me to sell someone on stopping doing something if I myself am doing it. That's awfully hard. And we can make all kinds of excuses. We can explain it away. We can say all kinds of things. But for example, if I drink, it's hard to tell a troubled child you shouldn't drink or don't do addictive things because you're doing it. You're doing it. You know, the do as I say, not as I do thing never works. <laughs> that, that never works, right? So, and especially for kids who are looking for a way to validate what they're doing. Any example from you that can be linked to what it is they want to do, they will throw in your face. Many of you probably had that happen. They're throwing it, well, you do this. You know, you ever heard those words? Well, you do this, and then you're triggered, and before you know it, there's yelling, and then we go off the, We don't want to get triggered, right? So one of the best things to do, it is challenging, but it is, it is imperative that you do this. Model the behavior. And I said, especially men, fathers, uh, not to diminish or demean uh, mothers, but I am saying to you that fathers like mothers occupy a unique space in the lives of their children. They're not the same. Mother, father, it's not the same. It's never going to be the same. This is my opinion, so you may disagree. It's never going to be the same. It can't be the same. That's not what happens, right? And, and so if there is a father involved in the life, then it's important that he be resolute. I look at fathers and I say fathers must be rocks. They must be big rocks, big boulders even, right? Mountains. They don't move. That child will know, well, my father has laid down the, the line. He's, he's drawn a, a bright line. Here's where he stands and he's not going to move. He's not going to weaken. He's not going to back down. He's not going to make excuses for me. He's going to be resolute. And I think it's important for that to happen. In situations where there is not a father involved in the life of a child for whatever reasons, there are a number of reasons that could be so, I understand that. It is important that you have find some 
male figure who can be that person for your child. Studies have shown, yep, it's, it's in the endless, it's the, the, the number of studies that have shown it, you know, in, in a politically correct world, there are things we're not supposed to say. And I'm just saying to you that having that presence is a positive factor. That's important, assuming the, the parent, the father is modeling behavior. Everyone must model the behavior, but parents have a unique um, physiological impact on their children. Actually, you can, you can look that up. In fact, as you, I did a, uh, uh, I did a uh, podcast one time talking about that. So it's really important. When you model the behavior, that allows you to accept no backsliding from yourself or from your child. See, once, once you draw the line, that's one thing that was interesting. Uh, I attended West Point. So I went to West Point, uh, which is all about modeling behavior, right? That was all, that's what it's about. It's all about modeling behavior. That's one of the ways they teach leadership, that you as the leader must model the behavior you want those who follow you to, 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 to emulate. And so it can be challenging because who, who doesn't want a good backslide every now and again? But I'm just suggesting to you that Again, remember, there's no chapter called easy that if you want to maximize your opportunities to change your situation for the future, it's important that you model the behavior. Next point. Now, I'm going to assume that, uh, and again, I'm not a doctor, at least I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I am, again, a life coach. And so I'm going to assume that many of you may have children or a child who's suffering from maybe both a mental disorder or a mental illness uh, and a drug or alcohol, you know, uh, addiction, or maybe another disorder. And so I always emphasize uh, in my conversations that getting a dual diagnosis is super important, right? Because I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the majority of the time, I believe it is. Majority of the time, if a child has one he, he or she is likely to eventually have the other. So getting a dual diagnosis, I think is important, but get, get into a dual diagnosis program that also includes counseling for the family. That, that's important because the family needs to move forward. That family has been hurt and harmed. You'll have siblings that don't uh, want having anything to do with the offending sibling, child, right? There are a lot of things that are going on in the family, a lot of dynamics that have been damaged, harmed. So make sure that you get into a dual diagnosis program that includes counseling for your, for your family. That's really important because again, everyone needs to move, move forward here. It's super important. Next, you know, if your child will not get the help that he or she needs such that he or she can become a productive member of the family, you know, you're faced with choices and life is about choices. And unless you want to live as a codependent for perhaps the rest of your life, then you have to get your child help or you have to get them out if they don't want the help. Now, that those are strong words perhaps, right? I get it all based on the age of the child. I, I get all that, that's all good. But th let's just step back for a second. You cannot let cancer run free in your body, right? We all would agree. If you have cancer, they got to get rid of the cancer. You can't just let it run free because it starts affecting everything. And it brings the entire system down. The entire team, the organization is, is destroyed under the weight 
of the cancer. Your only way to survive is to remove the cancer, get it out. And you know, that's important here. So you either have to treat cancer, and maybe some of you have gone through that, treat it. And my father had cancer, so I remember going through this uh, quite vividly with him. You have to treat it and try to kill it in your body, or you've got to cut it and take it out of your body. But the notion of simply letting it exist as it is because it just wants to, letting your child be this person who is destroying the family because he or she refuses to get help is simply ensuring the destruction of your family. So again, if they won't get help, you know, if they just say, I'm not going to get help, I'm not going to do it, you're faced with a very challenging decision. And the, the outcome of your decision, get them help, which is what we hope happens, you know, or if they won't get the help, uh, getting them out of the family unit, much as you get rid of a cancer, this is uh, uh, Coach Mobley being harsh, right? And then you have to uh, remove them from, from the life of the family or else you're destroying everything. Uh, and, and you're as respond as a team leader, as a, as a leader of the family, you cannot let the family be destroyed. My 10th point is this. Let me, let me, let me just touch on that a sec before I go. I just want to say to you too, you know, you know, as you think about what you should do in getting them help, just remember the best way to support your child's recovery is to get them help. Right. I think we'd all agree the best way, is to get them help. So if just, just remember the mission, the best way is to get them help. Don't let them not get help. They gotta wanna get help. They gotta get help. And if they won't get help because they are of an age, you can't make them do it, et cetera, et cetera. Then, you know, again, you have, you have a decision to make, but I think the decision is for the best of yourself and the team. Next point, 10th point, is that as part of the development of a great relationship with the child, uh, who's, who's challenging at this time. One of the things that I have found, I started doing this what, was it, 15 or so years ago. I started working with one of my clients and one of the things that I encouraged her to do was to form a team with the child. Okay, some team, and when I say a team, you are uh, working on some project together. You know, and projects can, there are zillions of projects, it can be everything from businesses to, to ideas, to books, to whatever it may be, establish a project that you're working on with the child, right? And make sure something meaningful that, that involves a schedule and time and work and, produ and production and uh, goals, endpoints, those peg points along the way, you know, status points, work on something, some idea, something. I don't, it could be a record, it could be music. I don't know, whatever you, work on something with that person that brings you two together working around a positive idea or a positive thing. I have seen enormous progress made once that has been, so much so that I recommend it to everyone I, I, I coach you, that, that working together on, as opposed to, you know, you're doing your, you got your life, you're living, but something, I don't know what, I have one client who became, their project was with, with uh, she, she, her son. Their project was, um, was finding and discovering those uh, snow globes. You get snow globes from every place. You know, you travel someplace, get a snow globe. So part of their, their thing was to travel on weekends and other times to, to develop a snow globe collection. And they wanted snow globes. They wanted from different states and different places. You know, they, you can get them everywhere. I mean, uh, every, snow globes from places that are in the desert. So that became a little thing we do. And they would go to, you know, uh, 
you know, weekend gatherings, uh, you know, little shops and shows, and try to find snow globes. And that actually, I, I, I'm gonna, it, I'm not going to say it worked as in it took away the issue. I will say that it was dramatic how that particular thing, snow globe, right? How that particular, you don't think, what's, what's the big deal with snow globe? It was something they were doing together. And it was something positive they were doing. And there was an endpoint. We want to get so many snow globes, so many places. I know there are well over 100 snow globes now. I know that. And, uh, and it's a positive thing between them. And I think it has been a contributor to the success they are now seeing as a family unit. So again, something that you work on together. I'm going to throw in something else here. My, my, I have 10 things, but I want to tell you 11th thing. This is something that I believe and I also encourage you to do. Uh, and it's something I actually that I do, we do in my family all the time. You know, hug your child, hug them. You know, you hug what you love, right? We all do, right? Sometimes I see people hugging their, uh, their cup of expensive coffee, right? We hug what we love, but it's important that you hug the person, hug them when you see them in the morning, hug them when you see them in the evening, hug them before dinner, before lunch, those kinds of things. For example, one thing I do is, uh, you know, COVID has created a situation where my kids were home at times they wouldn't be home, you know, because schools closed and this and that and work. And so it was great to have them around. And what I would do is before, uh, you know, we'd sit down for dinner and I'd walk by and hug each of them, starting with their mother and, you know, say something, I love them or whatever the case may be, and I'd hug each of them and then go sit down. Now, when you do that, of course, there will be the child there's always a child who acts like, mm, this hugging thing, what's going on here? You don't care about that. You're a parent. You don't care about that. I didn't care about that. Now, fast forward, when I started doing it, I, my kids are, love my kids, wonderful thing. Well, you know, I remember the first time I started doing it, look at me and think, okay. And then one time I came, I came off a call and I sprinted out to, to the dinner table. So I didn't have, quote unquote, time to hug them. So we said the, the little prayer and I started to eat and, and one of my daughters said, hey dad, where's the hug? My point is they may act as if it doesn't matter, but hugging has incredible impact on relationships, on health, your health and the person you're hugging. You wanna try this, try hugging them and try hugging them, but try it for a minute. See if you can hug them for, it probably has been a long, long time since you hugged your child for a solid minute. Like it will seem like you're, you're holding for an hour. When you start hugging them, it's like, okay, how many seconds has it been? 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And, all right, you think it's been a long time. My point about the hug, hugging is a way to connect. And it's a very physical and visible way to say that we're together. I'm with you. And that hug is powerful. And I would advise you all to toss hug into uh, your things you do to create, you know, create ways that your child always rises. And now I'll take some questions or whatever you want me to do, Kelly. So fantastic, thank you. I was, um, as you were going over the one about modeling the behavior, I remember distinctly you saying, when we were living in Texas and you all were living there too, um, I remember you saying, my children can do anything they see Susan and I doing. And I remember thinking, what? But to that point, you're like, we don't drink, we don't smoke, you know, we don't do certain things. So therefore, we expect them to not, which I thought was really quite profound because our children at the time were three and five. Um, and I like a glass of wine every 
now and then. So anyway, I thought uh, can that I, was- Can I address helpful. that for a second? Can I talk yes, to one please. Sure. So, so I have never, uh, when, when I made, when I pronounced that to the family, many, many kids were very, very young, to, just to, to, to my wife. And I, she looked at me like I was crazy, which is uh, part of course for dealing with me. I, I get that. <laughs> but, but I said, oh, you don't have to do it. I said, I'm saying that whatever I do, whatever I say, they can do what they say. And I'm going to let them know that. And I said, they were very, they were too young to understand what I was saying. So it wasn't about them at that point. They didn't even know about it. So fast forward now, you know, I never told my kids, I never, I mean, I don't, I don't have to not drink and, you know, I don't smoke or anything like that. So, you know, that's me, whatever. And so, but I've never told them not to do it. I've never said, don't do it. I've never said, don't do it and don't do this and don't do that. And I just never said that. Um, but none of them do those things now. They just don't. They just never, it wasn't part of the reality. So when they, when they went off around others, uh, peers, you know, and, you know, peer pressure is still, still what it is, right? When they went off, as they went off to college, there's high school and colleges, you know, I have no perfect kids, by the way, but I will say that quite often what they lean back on is what is their rock? As I said earlier, what is, what is the mountain they lean back on? If they look at that mountain, as a parent, and, they, and, and when they're faced with choices, they look at that rock, that mountain, and they say, you know, in their mind, my dad doesn't do that. He's a pretty good guy. And they would ask me why I don't, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I just go, oh, here's why I don't. Here's why I don't. Uh, you know, and they would note that, hey, dad, I know sometimes you go out with your friends and your friends will drink and this, that, and that. you don't drink. I said, no, never have, not my thing. So I gave them permission to be different. I gave them permission to make choices. And I think that's important. And for me, it was, a, it was very, very uh, important that I let them know as they grew older, said, if I say it, if I do it. So that meant if they heard me being profane, <laughs> you know, in theory, they could have been profane. You know, if they saw me do it. So that was, it was a high standard. I know this, but I did it with the plan in mind. And, and I just suggest to everybody that, you know, you have a lot more control than you think. And that modeling is very powerful. Thank you um, for sharing that. And I'd love to have, if anyone wants to uh, speak or ask a question or have a comment, feel free to do so now. Hi, um, I have a comment. I just want to thank the presenter for just such, I mean, all the things you were saying, particularly about hugging, because I've been trying to try a different approach with my children, which is, uh, counting to 10 before I react, not yelling because everything was being yelling. And I never hit my kids, not once when they were growing up, not ever. But when my son started to be objectionable and defiant, it was one point when I just couldn't help myself. It's just like, you know, I just hit him out of rage and frustration. And I remember his psychiatrist saying to me, Lorraine, that's not who you are. That's not who you are as a person. That's not who you've ever been as a mother. So I'm asking you to step back, count to 10, and just let it go. Mm -hmm. And now with them, what you were saying about hugging and just showing them love and affirmation, whenever I have a moment to say anything good, like my son is now raking leaves for the neighborhood, and yesterday I sent him a text saying, I love you so much. What a great job you're doing. I'm so proud of you. I just want to let you know that and keep up the good work. And 
that message alone, even if he never responded, I know that that's what I left him with, those words of affirmation and of love. And now I'm going to incorporate what you were saying about the hugs, because I've done it occasionally, but I'm going to start doing it on a more regular basis. And um, I just want to thank you for, and also about what you said about boundaries. That's so critical. And I need to work on boundaries and consequences being real and not just about, but it's hard to have consequences for a young, young adult, but I need to start doing more of that. So I just want to thank you for those invaluable words and words of strength and empowerment for me as a parent. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I think that uh, you're, you're onto something big here with basically bathing the relationship in positives coming from you. Because again, they'll trigger you, right? They'll trigger you to do things that are not you. And it's so important that you have a mission. And the thing about hugging, I assure you, when you hug, they may stand there initially with their arms at their side, almost lifeless. They will stay, but but there's, there's, there actually is, when you hug someone and you hug them for you know, a, a meaningful period of time, there actually are changes in the body that occur psychologically and elsewhere in the body that occur. And so continually hugging him and then bathing him in those positive words, that's coming from you. That's your game. You're going to run your game, run your offense, do what you're supposed to do. And then when you've done all that, then you truly have done your best. So I'm, I'm very happy for you and, and proud of you for what you're doing. Thank you. That's wonderful. Any other comments? Thank you so much for sharing um, that guidance. I love your tough love and accountability and uh, I think, you know, it's always helpful to be re- reinforced in our house. The, um, the hug thing and, and the phys- physiological changes that come from it is, is a helpful reminder. Uh, now that I have uh, further justification, I'm going to use that on my children who are going to resist me, but that's okay. I'll get pleasure out of it. But my question for you is, as your executive <laughs> coaching um, experience um, over the years, as you've worked with people as they're maturing, I'd be interested to hear any stories you can share with us whose children are growing and you've obviously got grown children, just to understand how to link dots between the struggles that some young folks face and how that ends up manifesting later in their careers. I'm imagining that you've experienced some folks where you're able to peel back some layers to understand how they were brought up and how that um, either helped them or hindered them on their path to success. And in particular, I'd be interested in any stories that help those of us with teenage boys think about how one day they will be able to pull themselves together and be more organized and kind of get themselves straight and learn and, and internalize the lessons that we've been trying to teach them um, over, you know, over the many, many years. So a little inspiration for the mothers of teenage boys maybe is what I'm asking for. Sure thing. So I'm going to, um, I won't name names, but I have a, a client of mine and uh, he uh, is uh, an executive in, in a fairly prominent uh, you know, company, global company. And so a number of years ago, he came to me about a son. The son was challenged in a lot of different ways and, and was behaving in a way that was not productive. You know, all the things that we all know about. And he was at, he, the father, was at his wit's end 
didn't know what to do, was mad, upset. You know, it wasn't the life he, he had planned. What the, what's going on? This is not how I wanted to live you know, my life. I, I'm not free. And all those things that I mentioned before, feelings of frustration and stress and anger and all this wonderful stuff. Okay. So I know that this person, I knew that this person had been an athlete uh, earlier in his life as a young, young, as a young person. Uh, he being the father had been an athlete. And I say, imagine if we were going to sit down and develop a game plan for this you've 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 got a team you're the coach now that's because that's what i do you're the coach now you've got this team and you inherit this team so forget for a second just say you inherit this team you you they hire you to take over this team and remember now you're paid to win in the future they don't expect it to happen on day one but they're paying you to take over this team to create to turn them into winners what would we do so he and i had a very over the series of days conversation about what he would do to turn around in this case it was it was the the son what would we do just take yourself out of it or be that coach who comes in what would you do now taking yourself out of it seems as again once again like my kids it seems hot but it's not easy <laughs> it's not easy right so we but we chatted about it and so we developed this plan and that was the, the kid is now the kid then was a teenager the kid is now in his 30s okay and the father just executed this plan we put together. I mean, he just, I'm giving credit, starting back, the kid was 16, 17, whatever the kid was back then, 15, 16. And he just executed, executed, executed this plan that we laid out. That just, he was relentless about it. He didn't let, I mean, I talk about not being triggered and going off and doing, no, no, no. He stayed on plan. Okay, so years go by as they do for all of us. And, you know, uh, the kid never became perfect, but it has never become perfect because what is perfection? Who knows what that is? But as the years went by and the kid, you know, goes off to college and has whatever level of, it, it got through college. How about that? Eventually, kind of, sort of, right? <laughs> through college. And then was in, in certain jobs that were beneath the kid's probably true talent. You know, we are all biased for our kids. We need the kid's true talent. And it, it was, I would say it was. Long story short is now the kid's now upper thirties and, uh, has a really good job, has gotten married, uh, and has gotten his life together, right? Has gotten his life together and, uh, and is modeling a lot of the things that he saw, that the plan that was being executed, the kid is modeling, is, is doing the things that he saw, not modeling, he's doing the things that he saw, the way he was being treated, the, the, the plan. So, and that's what happens oftentimes, you know, again, there's some addictions that take you far away from that. But if you can move away from the addiction, sometimes what happens is they start basically repeating what you showed them. And that's why it's important to be consistent in what you do. So it won't change overnight. And, you know, I, I'm, I use the term God or universe. You pick one you would want. I, I don't know what God's plan is, but I do know for, for, for your child, but I do know that his plan is for me is that I'm going to do the very best that I can. I, as a parent, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to execute this plan. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk this path and I'm going to be this person and I'm going to do it this way. And I believe that the end of that rainbow will be just as earth. Well, it certainly was for this father. He's very, I was just talking to him a couple of days ago. He's just so happy because it's like normal, you know, that child who was doing stupid things and dumb things and self, you know, things that are harmful back then, has now evolved and he's like a, as the father says, he says, if I didn't know him and I met him, I think, oh, pretty nice guy. 
You know, and that's really what you want, right? You know, you made him, oh, pretty nice guy. Yeah, he's married, got a job, working a nice job. He's doing good. I mean, the, his life is slipped. And what ended up happening was because of the plan that the father executed really well, in large part because of it, the son ended up being a bit choiceful in the type of women that he dated. So he ended up marrying a woman who also, and this is the father relating to me, I've never met the, the wife, who in many ways is aligned with the father's approach to life. And so that structure is still there, that, you know, there are, there are consequences, there's this, so just boom, 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 in their life. And so they've moved forward as their own family unit. And that really, when you've done that, that's, that's the best you can do, I think. I mean, that's, that's when you're doing it. So the key is to stick with it, you know, run your plan, and then, and then you will know, no matter what happens in your 20 years from now time period, you know, when the 20 years comes, you will know I executed the game plan. I ran the plays. I put together a plan. It worked. I mean, I did what I was supposed to do. And now let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's got to be your, you've got to take that, that kind of, it's like the marathon. You don't win the marathon by sprinting hard for 100, 100 yards. You got to get into that and you got to keep going and keep going and believe that at the end of the day, you're going to come to that, that marathon end mark, the, the tape and cross the tape 26.2 miles later and cross it. But you got to believe it and you got to stay on it. And if you stay on it, good things can happen. Yep. Thank you for that. There was a person that I think was also trying to speak at the same time. Did you want to say something? Hey, Daryl. How are you? Good. Good. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. I wanted to comment on something you said earlier um, that Kelly reflected on, which was uh, when we're in Texas and you, you made the, um, the comment and sort of talked to us about the example of, you know, modeling behavior. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, um, Kelly just reminded me, but in the back of my mind, and I didn't even remember where it came from, but, you know, how I had approached um, our, our my my relationship at home and with the kids was that, for me, I was like, I never drank in the house, I never smoked, uh, I didn't even curse in the house until my kids were probably, like, you know, 16, when I realized that they were getting influences from other places, I'm like, I've been respecting myself all this time, so I was a little frustrated by that, <laughs> but... I, I think to your point um, that that actually landed because we even though we've had struggles and challenges with our older son, um, we've heard him at 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 multiple occasions um, mention that you know, like I, I'm never going to drink and I'm I'm not going to do X Y Z because you know he's he's seen that I I didn't do any of those things. Now, you know I have to admit that it that's a hard thing to keep up for. A long period of time and as i mentioned just in in recent years it's been even harder because it's started to slip but but hearing you say that makes me want to recommit to those and then the modeling the behavior and especially the hugging thing we have we have one child that, that if you hug him he'll he'll look like you um you know you're assaulting him with a with a sharp object or something but but then if you hug him long enough then he'll eventually lean in so, you know, we, I think I'm going to get back to um, applying some of those principles. And I thank you for just reminding us of, of those things. And great but, to hear from you. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, great, great to hear from you. I, I will say this about the hug. It really is true. Yes, they will, as kids often will, they will act as if the hug is you're sending them off to prison right when you do it. But, I, but stick with it. And I would just say, like, I used, to, I used to always, I mean, I would hug my children in the morning before they went to school. And in, when they came home from, you know, when I saw them at home in school and before I went to bed, I'd always hug them. I said, good night. I won't give them a hug. 
I don't really care. Listen, as a parent, there's stuff you have to not care about. I don't care if you don't think it's a good thing. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you wish I really wouldn't hug you. I don't care. I'm going to do it. And that's my right as a parent. <laughs> that's my right as a parent. And again, what's interesting is, you know, this is why kids should not run the world. Because what will happen is, trust me, they will remember this and replicate it. They will, but the feeling inside, again, the stuff that's happening that they can feel, and then there's stuff, again, you can all can do your research and the studies of it. The stuff they can feel that's happening inside, they've got to hug them long enough, you know, a minute, two, whatever, long enough. The stuff they can feel and the stuff that they cannot feel. There actually, are, again, are changes in the body that are occurring from the hug. That there's, think about when you have a baby. We hug them a lot, right? You got the baby, you pick them up, you hold them close to you. You know, you, you, you hug them close to their, stay close to your, your, your breast. You're hugging them. You're always hugging, putting your hands on them. You're talking to them. You pick them up, you hug them. We stop doing that at certain ages with these kids. You know, uh, we stop the hugging part. And that's, that's to their detriment and our detriment. It's so important to stick with it. And again, as a parent, I don't have to ask for permission to hug my child. My child could be 176 years old. I don't care. I get to hug them. And that's got to be your mindset. Just do it. Just do it. And if you do it, remember, you got to actually, you got to run your play. <laughs> you got to run your play. And if you run your play, then you have a chance of winning. And for example, if, when I correct, when my kids were younger, when I would, let's say they did something that was wrong, you know, whatever, I don't, whatever they, whatever they did, I don't know, whatever, something was wrong. I would often, before I start talking to them about that, go up and hug them, give them a hug and say, no, let me, let's talk about this. And I hug them first. And I hold on, of course, they're thinking, oh, my God, I hug them first. So I started associating the hugs, both the, both the physical and the internal changes with, with positive. And with whatever I talked about then was bathed in the light of positivity. And so just wanted to share that with you. But good to hear from you. Wonderful. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I think we could go on and on and on. I learned, I learned so much and uh, really appreciate it. I actually sent a note to Kyle telling him I love him and, you know, have not laid eyes on him in several days and uh, was really angry. So that really spoke to me. So appreciate um, all of the coaching and the guidance this morning and leading with love. Really appreciate it. Um, so thank you for being here, Daryl. And Kelly Chapman is going to close us out with a prayer this morning. Thank you again. And Daryl, just want to say thank you. You are awesome. Just appreciate it. Okay, let's uh, end in prayer, and we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Father God, we come to you this morning just to give thanks, Lord. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. Lord, we ask that you would give us courage as we listen to Daryl today, who we're so grateful for. We just ask that you would give us courage to walk in that difficult truth and to make those courageous decisions and courageous choices without fear so that we can have sons and daughters who rise every day. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to demonstrate and live out love for our children. You said love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Lord, help us to live out that love for our children, for our significant others, for the entire world, Father God. 
So we thank you today, God. We thank you that this was an on-time conversation for many of us. And as we hug our children and love our children, not with word or tongue, but in deed and in truth, we thank you for this new day and this new opportunity to start again. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was excellent. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps.